Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. Gwendolyn Brooks was one of the most distinguished poets um, in the country at the time. And to have that person who represents the pinnacle of, um, you know, of a literary position have a meeting with um, arguably the best uh, college basketball player in the United States at the time. I mean, that's remarkable, isn't it? There were these connections, uh, political connections, cultural connections, social connections that I had no idea about when I was a kid. But once you start digging deeper into them, you realize that this may have been the most impactful moment in modern sports history. One of the more painful what-ifs in, in pop culture history. It's called Home Court. It's a play about an inner-city family that's striving to beat the odds, which I should notice based not too loosely on the tragedy of, of, of Len Bias. I think it's not just me. I think it's just like Lynn Bias post-1986 overwhelms the narrative of Lynn Bias pre-overdose. And overwhelms it so much so that for me, him as a basketball player has to constantly try to compete with his effect on the culture and all of those other ways. In this episode of Lem Bias, The Mixed Legacy, Cultural Catalyst, the impact of Bias's legacy on American culture. It must have been in the middle of May, no more than a week or so before the end of term, when I experienced a Len Bias surprise. I know it was 1986, because I'd come to the University of Maryland the fall before in order to help start up a Master of Fine Arts program in creative writing. Of course, I knew about the fine reputation of the English department. What I was most familiar with from its national reputation was Maryland's basketball team and its colorful coach, Lefty Drizel. Once on the Maryland campus, I followed Drizel's team with special interest. I say Drizel's team, when what I mean is the team of Len Bias, the All-America forward who was, by acclamation, the best basketball player in the country. 
a player like the great ones who could dominate the other team all by himself in any number of ways. Those are the words of Stanley Plumley, one of the country's prize writers. Plumley arrived in the University of Maryland in 1985 and started writing program for graduate students. He was Maryland's poet laureate from 2009 to 2018. As a youth, his two obsessions were reading and basketball. I remember thinking that he played like a professional. His skill and size, speed and quickness, grace and aggressiveness set him apart. Yet for all his talent, he was also a quiet player, no showboating, no display, all business. He was what might be called a working class player. More words from Plumley, but that was not his voice. Plumley passed away in 2019. His words were read by Michael Collier, a colleague of Plumley at Maryland. Collier's creative thoughts were often intertwined with those of Plumley, for good reason. Collier had started working at Maryland a year before Plumley. He helped Plumley build the creative writing program. For much more than three decades at Maryland, their offices were adjacent to each other. And Collier was also Maryland's poet laureate from 2001 to 2004. They talked often about Len Bias. Here's Collier's in his own words. You know, Len Bias was on everybody's mind. You know, Stanley was a basketball player. He, he played basketball, I think, in college. When he would come over to my house, we often shot baskets in the driveway because I had a hoop for my sons. Plumley's soft toss extended to his writings. The words of Plumley read by Collier first appeared in a foreword in the book Born Ready, The Mixed Legacy of Len Bias. And it is one example of how the legacy of Len Bias is reflected in American culture, even today. In this podcast series about the vast and mixed legacy of Len Bias, we have explained how his death has impacted society in profoundly different ways. Maryland athletics, his friends and family, mandatory minimum prison sentences, the Celtics, the NBA, his teammates, his family. In this episode, we examine Len's legacy through a cultural lens. We focus on the impact of his legacy on race and social justice, how it influenced music and how it connected to literature, how it was presented in the theater, and how it has even recently been referenced in popular television series. In life, Len Bias was a transformative basketball player. In death, he's a cautionary tale, an iconic symbol of poor decision-making. Len Bias is also a cultural catalyst. In this episode, Len's story and legacy are juxtaposed with those many important figures in American cultural history. Emmett Till's terrible tale and racial injustice, the tragic young death of rapper Biggie Smalls, the black folklore fable of John Henry, his legacy is reflected in the writings of contemporary black culture, including by Reginald Dwayne Betts and Justin Tinsley. The impact of his death is even woven in the storyline of TV series Snowfall about the drug culture of the 80s. The debut of the show's fifth season in February of 2022 began with a recreation of Bias collapsing in his Maryland dorm room on the morning of June 19, 1986. There are references to Bias and his death in later episodes. For Stanley Plumley, Bias represents both a heroic and tragic figure. In his foreword in the book Born Ready, The Mixed Legacy of Len Bias, 
Plumlee reaccounted the day he met Bias while working at Maryland. It was part of an event hosted by his department. Collier picks up the story from there. I was asked by the dean's office, Arts and Humanities, to introduce Gwendolyn Brooks, the National Poet Laureate, who in 1950 became the first black poet to win the Pulitzer Prize. I remember asking her to read one or two particular favorites of mine, one of which is her signature poem, We Real Cool. We real cool, we left school. Lurk, light, we strike, straight, we sing, sin, we then gin, we jazz, June, we die soon. Collier continues his narration of the foreword written by Plumley. The structure of the event called for the dean to introduce me, followed by my introduction of Brooks. For a moment, Brooks and I were standing there together when suddenly from the opposite side of the stage, there arrives a very tall young man bearing a large bouquet of red roses. It was Len Bias, whose presence came at the request of Joyce Ann Joyce, a professor of Afro-American literature at Maryland. Bias took Joyce's class in the 1983 fall semester and as Joyce explained it, graciously earned a D grade, despite the fact he missed classes frequently and flunked the two assignments he completed. It was not her policy to flunk athletes. Joyce developed a friendship with Bias and considered him sweet and thoughtful. Joyce arranged the reading by Brooks and asked Bias if he would present Brooks with a bouquet of flowers. She thought Bias's gesture would help show a link between the excellence of black basketball players and black poets and showcase the artistry of both. She had hoped that Bias's participation could translate to increased respect for poetry to the level students respect basketball players. The Maryland Basketball Banquet was being held at the same time at the Stamp Student Union, about a half mile away. But that did not stop Bias from surprising Brooks and everyone else attending the event. He shakes my hand and then embraces the diminutive Brooks and places the great flowers into her open arms. The audience goes slightly wild. I can see the tears in Brooks's eyes and everyone can see the smile on Len Bias's face. At the reception, we all talked, but who knows what about. Likely, we talked about the future, notably the future of the basketball star. It is not often a prominent athlete connects with the icon of poetry for such a rare event. That fact was not lost on Collier. He reflected on the significance of bias meeting Brooks. Gwendolyn Brooks was one of the most distinguished poets um, in the country at the time. And she was finishing her stint as a poetry consultant to the Library of Congress, a, a position that's now known as the U.S. Poet Laureate. 
and to have that person who represents the pinnacle of, um, uh, you know, of a literary position, have a meeting with um, arguably the best uh, college basketball player in the United States at the time. I mean, that's remarkable, isn't it? That doesn't, first of all, athletes and poets don't get together like that in a public way. They, they really don't. Um, and it meant to me the coming together of two cultures, you know, the literary humanities culture and the student athlete culture. Uh, and that doesn't happen in that way, in a public way very often. And it seemed clear to me that um, Len Bias recognized the importance of the moment. And so I also, I also thought that that was um, something very honorable and what you might not expect out of um, a student athlete. Many years later, Collier was compelled to write a poem about Brooks meeting Bias in the form of something called a golden shovel a poetic style that pays homage to Brooks by incorporating a line from one of her poems. I chose two lines from uh, the Gwendolyn Brooks poem titled The Last Quatrain of the Ballad of Emmett Till. And we all know who Emmett Till uh, is, uh, a 14-year-old uh, African-American young man who was lynched in Money, Mississippi in uh, 1955. These are the lines that I chose for my, uh, my golden shovel. She kisses her killed boy and she is sorry. Kaya narrates the poem he wrote about Brooks and Bias. It's called Len Bias, A Bouquet of Flowers and Ms. Brooks. He arrives in the middle of her reading. She has to stop and taking the flowers he's brought, kisses the beautiful young man whose yellow socks are her dowdy sweater's antithesis. What's said between them is killed by applause but not his smile, which is the smile of a boy standing in the silence he's created and not her magnified stare, which says she understands why he's arrived late, is already leaving and that he is sorry. It's the only poem I've ever written about uh, an experience I had at the University of Maryland. I've never written about anything that happened at the University of Maryland. And yet when I was given this assignment, this moment immediately came back to me in, in a really powerful way. And it was a kind of coincidence that I came across the, these lines in uh, the last quatrain from the Ballad of, em of Emmett Till. But they seem to fit perfectly. Collier sees a connection between Bias and Till that includes a maternal extension. And I think, too, there's a kind of congruence, not perfect, between 
of Emmett Till and Len Bias. There are definitely connections that you can make between their their deaths. Emmett, Emmett Till was a, a, a complete victim of a moment, uh, and, and a moment defined by American culture, um, American racist culture. Um, and, you know, we're not, we're not over that. And Len Bias, I think you can say, not in the, not in the same way, but he is a kind of, of, I don't like the word victim, but, but I, but I see Bias as a, as a kind of, his death as a kind of tragedy that was also a, a way of reading it into a national tragedy, in, into narratives, uh, uh, American uh, narratives that uh, follow national uh, tragedies. After his death, uh, there were so many things that were racialized about it. For me, a kind of terrifying um, poignancy to it. You know, the other thing too that connects them is the role that, that mothers played, their mothers played in their deaths. Um, because uh, Len Bias's mother was and has been very forceful. And of course, Emmett Till's mother did that almost unbelievable thing of allowing um, Emmett to be in an open casket and, um, and also allowing um, the photographer to come in and, 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 and take a series of, of pictures of him in the autopsy room. But um, as a way of not allowing his death to go, you know, unnoticed, that it would, that, that, that it could help people. And, and what it helped was, uh, you know, directly someone like Rosa Parks make a decision to stay on, to stay in, in, in the seat at the front of the bus, rather go to the back. There's a direct connection there. Um, so he, his death was not in vain to use a cliche. Uh, and the mother was behind that, very eloquent and movingly. One of the things that allowed other people to learn from deaths, let's say, not was the mothers, the mothers. It's kind of interesting, huh? At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. 
You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Ronald Daly was inspired to write a song about bias after he heard the news about his death in 1986. He was living in Washington, D.C. area and was a big fan of Len Bias. I've been a Maryland fan for quite a few years because I used to live right across from the campus a little town called Lakeland. I used to go to the games back, uh, you know, when I graduated from high school. Uh, back in 1963, 64, somewhere in there, you know, but I uh, only went to one of Len Bias' games. You know how popular he was. I just wanted to see him play because I heard a lot about him, you know, how, how good he was. And uh, I told my son, let's go up and see, you know, how great Len is. Daly played in a band called the Chang Band in the 1960s and 70s. He also tried songwriting. It took the death of Bias to convince Daly to write a song about him. And for Daly to finally record a song that he had written at the time he was working for an electric company that he partially owned. Yes, uh, I was driving down the road and I was on delivery and I heard the news on the radio about his death. And uh, I just said, this is really, really sad. I said, uh, I wanna write a song about this guy. You know, I said, because he's so great. I just, um, I just started, you know, singing. I said, Lynn Bias, he was Marilyn, superstar. And it took me about two days to really write the song. He was the greatest one by far. He was so full of energy. One of the strongest guys you ever see. I played it for uh, Lynn Bias's father for Father's Day. I dedicated it to him, yeah, for Father's Day. Daly was living at the time in a town called Bladensburg, about five miles from where Bias' family lived. He sent the producers of this podcast series a copy of a picture of him posing with Lenise Bias and others in the Bias house. At that time, they didn't uh, really know of me. And uh, I wanted to meet the family. That was the first time I met the family. You know, with my kids, my, my sons and they were sitting in Len Bias' uh, chair and all. They, it was really beautiful. You know, Mrs. Bias told me I was like part of the family tree because of, uh, you know, how close that I was, you know, writing this song and how fast I'd done it, you know, in two days. And, uh, you know, she got a copy of the uh, song. I wanted some proceeds to go to the Bias family. I didn't want to do that just for myself. I just wanted to do it for the Bias family, which I would like to see a movie done of Len Bias and, um, you know, use my song as a soundtrack. And this is the purpose of me, you know, going this far with it. You can listen to the song in its entirety at the end of this episode. (laughs) 
to the greatest that never was. Other musicians have also memorialized Bias. Some 30 years after his death of Bias, rap artist whose musical name is MC Longshot released a song simply called Len Bias. It lasts just under four minutes and is a part of a three-song album called Instant for Eternity. The other two songs on the album are about domestic abuse and romantic breakup. It was written and produced by Chad Heaslip. He was born in Chicago Southside. He released his first single in 2002. You've heard clips of the song throughout this podcast series. Now we play it for you in its entirety. Dedicated to the greatest that never was.
It's called Home Court. It's a play about an inner-city family that's striving to beat the odds, which I should notice based not too loosely on the tragedy of, of, of Len Bias. The play spans eight years of his life, you know, till the time that he makes it to the pros. And by the time that he makes it, and he, he goes through drug abuse. That's Brian Gumbel, a former host of the Today Show on NBC. He's talking during a broadcast in 1988 with Eugene Key, an actor who plays the character based on Len Bias in a play called Home Court. Here's Eugene Key talking again, this time in an interview more than 30 years later. We were trying to portray the character as having a lot of pressure being put on him, you know, as, as being this uh, perfect person. This is what my character uh, Damien kind of fell into. The play is another example connecting the bias story to American culture. The format of expression was the theater. Home Court was created by the Creative Arts team, then a part of the Educational Theater Company in New York University. The team uses theater and interactive drama to address social and academic issues. Jim Maroney, a co-founder of the Creative Arts team, was its playwright in residence. He started developing the play in the summer of 1986, shortly after Bias died. Here's Maroney talking after the play was performed in 1987. The uh, phenomenon of crack, which uh, eclipsed in New York City around June of last year, along with the death of Len Bias, became an inspiration to uh, develop a play that wasn't a lecture, but it was the best of drama with a message. Here's Maroney during the interview in 2020. When Len died, that was an extraordinary event. It, it caught my attention. The creative arts team still exists today. Since its inception in 1974, it has tried to foster creativity and critically engage with the world. A focus is youth facing challenges in their lives. Here's Maroney again in 2020. The majority of our contracts dealt with substance abuse prevention from the city, and uh, at-risk youth and conflict resolution. This seems to be a very good um, model for what we could do in the schools because every middle school student, high school student knew about land bias. And um, the play was a natural, the subject matter was a natural for that to happen. And um, so it just took off like a rocket. For our purposes, we couldn't find a better subject matter that would hit that age group. During his four-year run, Home Court appeared in school districts throughout the United States, including New York City public schools. The play also had runs at festivals and in theaters in Seattle, Dallas, Houston, and even in Scotland. We would have racked up at least 25, 30 shows, maybe even more, 40 shows per season. The Today Show feature created quite a buzz about the play and extended the cultural reach of the bias story. When it was shown on the Today Show, we were inundated by requests. That's when the league called us to be a part of their rookie transition program. That's Zach Biner, an executive coach focused on life skills. When the Today Show featured home court, Miner was working with the creative arts team. The lead he's referring to is the National Basketball Association. Minor helped adapt the show to have more of an impact on NBA players. 
I, I know that unfortunately the league had, was developing a bad reputation of, you know, the, the celebrities, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, when we did that show, it had such an impact that they felt that that was a very important part of the story to go along with. How do you become successful? How do you fight some of the challenges that you may have grown up with in order to achieve success in basketball or in any other sport? Home Court was part of the NBA's rookie orientation program for a few years. Minor worked as a facilitator during the show for the NBA rookies. He talked to the audience, acted as a catalyst for discussion. What drama actually does is allow them to talk objectively about what they see and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Of course, as they speak objectively, they're also um, coming up with their own feelings and emotions about situations and sometimes revealing some of what they are going through. We presented the show. We then did breakout groups and had Q&As with the players at that time. And, of course, the, the league actually used that show as a... as. Uh, to create talking points for uh, um, uh, for the situation. You know, once they saw that drama had the effect that it has, uh, we then created other, uh, not necessarily shows, but uh, stage presentations that would reflect some of the situations that young athletes would go through upon entering the league, you know, whether it was with uh, agents, um, how to manage the, uh, the the agent responsibility, yeah, how to manage okay. family, friends yeah. and family became yeah. a big part of that program. Um, you know, talking about that, and that's, I, I think a part of that was where uh, Len Bice's mom came and spoke, because it was very important that these young men understood that family could be a challenge as well. Family could be a support, as Len Bice's mom was, and family could be a challenge, as we've seen in other situations. What the students saw in the play was not a complete representation of Bias, but there are some similarities between Bias and Damien, the character based on Bias. Eugene Key played the role of Damien. We had it in the script that his brother was, you know, kind of the problem kid. And, and Damien, which was the Len Bias character, was the one who had the talent and was so successful. And the younger brother was the one who was always the one that was in trouble. So he was the one that was into drugs and everything. Come on, Shabbat, man. Level with me. What's up? Nothing you can help me with. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, come on, lay it on me. <laughs> I got caught shoplifting at Sneaker King. What? It all happened so fast. I was in the store minding my own business when Crystal and Reggie came in. Hey, yo, survive. He cleaned himself he up, apparently. By that time, Damien, the Limbias character, was on the move with, with high school and college. He's 
got the NBA knocking on his door. And his brother comes back out of rehab. And notice that there's some changes in his brother that he didn't recognize before. But then he recognized that he's doing drugs because, of course, he can recognize the signs. But not only that he's doing crack at this point, he's also drinking and everything. But um, tries to tell his brother, look, this, I've been there. This is not the road to go down. And my character, Damien, based on the advice, telling him, mind your own business. I got this. I can take care of it. <laughs> you're, the, you're the junkie. You're the one that failed the family. I'm the one that's going to be successful. Just like they're doing now. Oh, don't you try to jump into my league, little brother. You were a junkie, all right? And what I do is pure. You hear me? I can manage And unfortunately, he passes away over an overdose. He had the whole world in his pocket. Everything was going his way. He was on his way to the very top and then death. And, and, and when we were doing it in a, a lot of different neighborhoods, they're not afraid to uh, voice their opinions, even while you're doing the show. So when when they see me take out a crack pipe and I'm blowing it up, you know, and smoking and everything, and you can just hear some of the gaps in the audience. It's like, oh, my God, he's doing crack now. What? What? Mm. How did that happen? You know, that kind of thing. Some students offered their thoughts about the play's message. Their comments come from local news reports. It's a drama called Home Court, and it's playing to packed school auditoriums all around the city. As Mr. G found out from the beginning, the play touches on some raw nerves. The audience, eighth and ninth graders, hang on every word. If you knew what drugs could do to you, why did you start in the first place? I guess it was a decision that I had to make for myself, I guess. Maybe I'm sorry I made it. I told you when you experiment with drugs that you become addicted to it. Tell you anything about drugs? Yeah. What does it tell you? It tells me like not to take it because then you think you're all right, but then I'll take you too far and eventually you die. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Reginald Betts was only six years old when Len Bias died. 
but he grew up in the same Prince George's County community as Bias. He eventually began hearing stories from his father and others about Bias, that he might have rivaled Michael Jordan had he lived. Betts was more familiar with the tragic story of Reggie Lewis, who, like Bias, was a first-round pick by the Celtics in 1987, one year after the Celtics picked Bias. You know, it's hard to recognize the tragedy of Reggie Lewis and then recognize the tragedy of Lynn Bias. Lewis died of a heart condition when Betts was 13 years old. Soon after, he began to hear more about Bias. And recognize Lynn Bias's tragedy connected to the drug trade, connected to um, what was going on with prison and incarceration in the early 90s. It was impossible for me to really think about that as a 13-year-old. You know, I was I was trying to figure out how to be a seventh grader, how to be an eighth grader. A bad decision by Betts when he was 16 led him to learning even more about bias. He was an honor roll student and class treasurer at Suitland High in District Heights, Maryland. Betts joined some friends for a night out. A group carjacked a man who had fallen asleep in his car outside the mall in North Virginia. It was the first time Betts broke the law, much less held a gun. He served eight years of a nine-year prison sentence for a conviction of armed carjacking. I'm 16 and I'm in prison. And in, in some real way, you know, my life feels like it's, it's cut short mm-hmm. in some profoundly tragic way. And I think you begin to understand, or I, I begin to understand and think differently about uh, Lynn Bias's death. But also because I <laughs> began to think differently about the war on drugs, I began to think differently about um, mass incarceration as a thing, you know, and so that just forced me to consider him as a figure um, on top of change in sports. I didn't really know who he was until I went to prison. And so then by the time I get to prison, he just becomes not a footnote, because it's not fair to say he's a footnote, but he becomes an explanation for something. And, and he becomes an explanation for why it's just like the fucking dual tragedy of drugs, right? It's, it's the fact that they actually do ruin our community and the fact that like, um, you think that the punishment that comes out of the response to Bias's death is, is as disastrous as, as the death. So, you know, if you say, you know, like, how did he come up in a poem? I mean, honestly, he comes up in a poem because he's just always there. Betts left prison with a general education development degree, or GED. He went on to earn an undergraduate degree in creative writing from the University of Maryland. Betts was the student speaker at his commencement. He later taught poetry at the university. Betts earned a law degree at Yale and later passed requirements to practice law in Connecticut. He has given lectures on topics ranging from mass incarceration to contemporary poetry and the intersection of literature and advocacy. Betts has earned several prestigious fellowships, including the Guggenheim. He served as President Obama's Council for Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention. Betts wrote a memoir that focused on his time in prison in Virginia. He also won a National Magazine Award for the story published in the New York Times Magazine. Betts has written books on poetry, one called The Bassets of the Reagan Era, It won him a New England Poetry Award. In that book is a poem, Night of Living Bassheads. Here's Bet reading parts of the poem. Spike had us on edge, near ready to toss a trash can through the city. Lynn Bias was dead. 
and we was lamping, stone cold lamping, pockets fat because we were entrepreneurs. Back then it was always winter, always cold in the street. My mind rabid with want for equity, for dookie gold chains, Jordans, more. The hustle courted us and we were down. It'll take you to ruin, moms would say, as if disaster wasn't that damn place. Those afternoons and all their sirens blare. A mandatory minimum of years where home becomes God's nightmare, our curse. And so the way you see bias come up in that poem is the way um, bias would have came up in my life. It's, it's just a, a marker for the tragedy poem, just like somebody recounting how they came up and how they got involved with drugs and bias is that marker and a complicated marker too because people so dope knowing about the tragedy of bias and they so dope to other folks knowing about the tragedy of bias and that's what I was trying to the whole poem is trying to get at that 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 conflict that goes on in somebody's mind where they're forced to be in a spot in prison so the way Lynn Bias operated in my head was was almost like a fucking ghost you know, if you say, you know, like, how did he come up in a poem? I mean, honestly, he comes up in a poem because he's just always there. And and that poem is written from the perspective of the dude that's selling drugs. But when you put Lynn at the center of it, I mean, the real tragedy is that, like, now forever to put Lynn at the center of any conversation is also to put cocaine at the center of it. And that's how, like, powerful the drug was is that once you introduce it into a story it's a co-star and Lynn's life makes it forever a kind of co-star culturally speaking what could this guy have been you know who would he have become in the league how, how might career arcs and paths have been different had Lynn Bias stayed around that's Justin Tinsley an ESPN commentator and a senior culture and sports reporter for the undefeated. Just like Dwayne Betts, Justin Tinsley was very young when Len Bias died. He was only four months old. Tinsley first heard about Bias in the mid-1990s from his uncle who lived in the Washington, D.C. area. His uncle was a Len Bias fan. I may have been like nine, nine or ten, and we were talking about basketball. I really wish Michael Jordan would come back, and, you know, I, I miss watching him play basketball. He was like, yeah, I, I I wish Lynn Bias would have been around to to play Mike, you know, with the Celtics and see how that would have played out. Kind of like a John Henry type type guy uh, for my generation. They took John Henry to the tunnel, put him in the lead to drive. The rock so tall, John Henry so small that he laid down his hammer and he cried, Lord. John Henry was a folk hero in black culture. According to his legend, he was a steel driver. Henry helped hammer through rock to build railways through the mountains of West Virginia in the 1800s. He symbolizes the hard work of many African Americans who helped build and maintain the rails. At a time when black people in America were slowly earning more rights and liberties, Tinsley sees a parallel between John Henry and Bias. And so he, he He's a, he's a tall tale, but he's also even more so a cautionary tale for my generation. 
John Henry looked up at the mountain And his hammer was striking fire He hammered so hard that he broke his heart According to legend, Henry died from a broken heart, a victim of exhaustion. In real life, Bias died of a heart attack after abusing an excessive amount of pure cocaine. Tinsley has been working on a book about the 1990s rap artist Biggie Smalls. Like Bias, Smalls died too early. He was gunned down at 25. In the book, Tinsley connects Biggie's life with the war on drugs and mandatory minimum sentences among other issues of that time. Tinsley sees parallels between the story of both Biggie and Bias. Talks about being neck deep in the drug game and understanding that like, if I walk around this corner, if I sell to the wrong person, like that could be the end of me, whether, I, whether I'm killed or whether I go to jail for a long time. So when we talk about these mandatory minimums and we talk about this life or death experience in the street selling drugs and, and being caught with even a small amount of, of paraphernalia on, at that point in the late 80s and early 90s could lead to a long trip upstate. And so when we talk about that, you could piece it back to Lynn Bias's. It may not be Biggie saying, oh, you're making a rhyme about Lynn Bias, but you know, when he was, you know, when he talks about the streets as a shortstop, either you slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. You know, you can piece that back to somebody like a Lynn Bias because that death changed everything. When we talk about Lynn Bias culturally, we talk, talk about how his death, in so many ways, an overreaction by the federal government and that overreaction directly impacted our community and, you know, people who look like us. So in, in my generation, especially now, there, there's this there's this emphasis and there's this thirst and there's this intersection of sports and 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 wider culture and and history and why why these things all matter like when we talk about when we talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar we're not just talking about the fact he he's the most decorated basketball player of all time or he has more points than anybody who's ever played in the NBA no we talk about Kareem about by we measure him obviously by his skills on the court, but we also measure him by his impact on society at large. Lynn Bias is the same. He never scored a basket in the NBA, but his impact on, again, on society at large is, is massive. When you when you mention somebody like Lynn Bias's name to people in my generation, it's always like, yeah, he could have been something. We, we were robbed of seeing a potentially all-time great talent Unlike Dwayne Betts and Justin Tinsley, Michael Weinrib was old enough to understand the impact of the death of Len Bias when it happened. He was 13 years old when Len Bias died. While living in State College, Pennsylvania, Weinrib was a huge fan of college basketball. He was well aware of who Bias was. Weinrib, a journalist, author of four books, and a screenwriter, his focus is sports, American culture, and the 20th century history. He's written for The Ringer, The Athletic, Grantland, and Bleacher Report. In 2008, Weinrib wrote an essay about Bias' legacy for ESPN, the magazine, titled The Day Innocent Died. The story presented a sweeping look at the death of Bias and its impact on society. It also helped convince podcast producer 
Dave Ungrady to look even deeper into the Len Bias legacy. A result, Ungrady's book, Born Ready, The Mixed Legacy of Len Bias. This podcast series is based on the book. Weinrib believes the Bias story has few rivals in history. Once I dove into it and started to look back at it, there were these connections, uh, political connections, cultural connections, social connections that I had no idea about when I was a kid. But once you start digging deeper into them, you realize that this may have been the most impactful moment in modern sports history just because of the impact it had on politics, on culture, on a generation of, of African-Americans. To Weinrib, the issue that still plagues race relations in this country today have a direct tie to the death of Len Bias. Yeah, I think it's become more and more relevant over the course of time as we've realized, what are we, we're 50 years into the drug war and it's obviously been a, a colossal failure. I think I think everybody on both sides of the political aisle will probably admit that at this point. Um, and bias, I think, stands out. His story just stands out as as an exemplar of that failure and how all of the policies that were attempted to um, further the war on drugs, nearly all of them have failed. And this this what happened in the wake of his death. Um, is kind of the prototypical example of that. And um, when you sort of realize the impact that it's had on a generation, particularly of, of African-Americans um, who have been imprisoned because of the laws that were passed in his name, um, it's just, it, it really kind of puts into perspective everything that we've been uh, talking about in America for the last year, or, or even for the last 50 years. Greetings, everyone. This is Dave Ungrady, the executive producer of this podcast series. This episode concludes the narrative portion of the series. We have presented an unprecedented review of the rich and complex legacy of Len Bias, some 600 minutes of total content. I thank all of those who have joined us so far in this unique journey, but there is more. Up next is what I like to call a functional epilogue, a mini series of episodes that focuses on decision-making. In its essence, the Len Bias legacy was shaped largely by the fact that Len made a poor decision to abuse drugs. And as we all know, it killed him. The epilogue will help you learn how to make the right decision. There are tools you can use and the decision episodes will tell you about them in the context of real life stories. In the epilogue, we will discuss decisions made by five people. They all faced challenges as a result of these decisions. They include one of the top high school basketball coaches in the country, Glenn Farello. Also, Travis Garrison, a former Maryland basketball star, and Olympic sprint champion, Justin Gatlin. We also talked with students, Zach Reed and Ben Kotoko. Our discussion is ably anchored by Chris Spetzler, 
an expert on decision-making. Chris is the executive director of the Decision Education Foundation, a partner in the 34 plus one campaign and this podcast series. The decision-focused episodes will give you some practical takeaways from this series, and we urge you to tune in soon. For more information, go to gogradymedia.com. That's gogradymedia.com. This podcast series is based on the book Born Ready, A Mixed Legacy of Len Bison, published by Go Grady Media. The series is produced by Go Grady Media in partnership with Octagon Entertainment. This segment was produced by Dave Ungrady and Don Marcus. It was written by Dave Ungrady and edited by Don Marcus. Narration by John Sally. With additional narration by Jamal Williams. Technical production was provided by Octagon Entertainment. Production assistance was produced by Kevin McNulty, Tino Quagliata, Lauren Roche, Georgia Brown, Casey Fair, Jamal Williams, Kelsey Mannix, and Enzo Alvarenga. Social media assistance. Special thanks to the University of Maryland and American University for providing insights. The Decision Education Foundation is a content and promotional partner of this podcast series. For more information, go to gogradymedia.com. This has been a production of Go Grady Media and the 8th Side Network.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.